Uh, the kids are dismissed at this time. Over this way. <clears throat> Thank you very much for that prayer. I certainly need the Spirit to be with me this morning. It's, uh, it's been a rough one, to say the least. Um, as some of you know, my wife and I bought a house in Pearland, down 288, um, and we live there now. And on our way in this morning, we planned to get here early because I was preaching, and of course 288 was shut down, so that was pretty great. Then, uh, then we get to 290, and 290 shut down. So, you know, the two state highways that I have to use to get to church are conveniently shut down on the morning that I have to preach. Explain that one. Uh, it's pretty much how my whole week is gone, actually. Uh, I, I attempted several different nights to really sit down and take all my notes and put it into something legible that I could uh, preach today. And, of course, every single night, I couldn't do it. Um, so I just had this huge mass of notes uh, that I had to get typed up yesterday, and then I tried to transfer it onto my wife's iPad, and of course, that didn't happen last night. I tried to do it this morning, and our iPad was dead. It's, it's been a nightmare. Also, in the middle of the night last night, I decided to chew on my lip, and uh, I, don't, I don't know where that happened. I don't know if you can see it where you are, but it's swollen severely. Uh, that's probably a good thing, because originally the sermon was going to be about six hours long. Um, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't appreciate that, so today we'll try to it hurts pretty bad to talk, so maybe, maybe only 10 to 15 minutes, so that's good. Uh, anyway, good morning, welcome. Uh, I'm glad you guys are here. I'm sorry that you have to listen to me preach, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, as some of you might know, I am the head of the Building and Grounds Committee. Uh, we have a ton of things going on right now. Um, just to list a few, uh, we have... The north wing restrooms are getting remodeled, and that's going to bleed into a north wing. You're welcome, Miss Stone. Ms. Stone. Uh, that's going to bleed into a north wing kitchen remodel. Uh, we just commissioned the prayer room. The nursery is about to kick off. The finance committee just approved uh, a remodel of the stage, the finances for the remodel, and we also decided last week or maybe two weeks ago that we're going to open up the belfry in the back back there. If you turn around and look whenever you have time, that uh, cubed-in area up there, we're actually going to knock all that down and expose the ironwork uh, that leads up to the bell tower. So that's, a, that's another major project. We've got a lot, of, a lot of really big things going on. Um, a lot of people are supporting us in this, both physically and financially. But uh, I want to take the time to highlight one person in particular, uh, Andy Veal. If you can stand up for a second, brother, I'd appreciate it. You're awesome, man. I really appreciate everything you've done for me, uh, for this church. Andy's an outstanding guy. Uh, if you don't know him, I highly suggest that you get to. Uh, one last super cool announcement. Some of you may or may not know, or most of you may or may not know, my wife and I, Janelle, uh, we are expecting our first child. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. Hang on, hang on. The best part is it's a boy. So I'm pretty pumped about that. Uh, all right, so now that the fun part's out of the way, let's dig into this. Today we're going to be reading out of uh, Matthew 6. 
Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bible or if you've got your iPhone or your droid or whatever, open that up and let's, uh, let's read this together. And we're going we're gonna to try to understand exactly what it is that the Lord has in store for us in this text. John has been going over the Sermon on the Mount. That doesn't necessarily end in chapter 5. It continues in the book of Matthew uh, for a little while longer. This is a subset of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This is uh, chapter 6. So we're going to really read this. Uh, We're going to try to unpack exactly what's going on, what's inside this, and dig something out of it. So here we go. Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful. Okay, so let's stop. I know I I I said let's read, but I was joking. Let's stop. The first two words in anything that he says is be careful careful. I found that really interesting. Now, your, your version might say something different. It might be like three words down the line. It might be something like beware. But I found that, that really interesting that Jesus, the, well, not Jesus, the author was starting this, this passage with a warning, right? I thought that that was very interesting. The, the beginning of this entire part is a warning. Be careful. Beware. We should really pay attention when something like that comes up. It says, be careful. So if a friend or a family member of yours is about to walk off of a cliff, right, you're not going to say something like, hey, dude, go ahead. You're not going to say something like, tie your shoes together. You're not going to say something along the lines of like, yeah, pick up that knife and run with it. You're going to say something along the lines of, be careful, watch out. There's something, there's something serious going on here. It's a wake-up call. So let's read it. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've gotten their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Um... I find it interesting that Jesus says explicitly, don't practice your righteousness in front of people. And I started to question myself, like, why would he say that? Why, what is such of a great problem that Jesus took the time to teach his disciples and all these other people around about doing so? If you dig into what he's really saying there, he uses an explicit word that's, that's really interesting. He says, your righteousness, your righteousness, right? That's interesting to me. Just because we were doing something we were commanded to do, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're righteous. Would you agree with that? Right? This type of righteousness is not the righteousness of Christ. If you're doing something because you're being told to do it, it in no way implies that you're righteous with Christ. This type of righteousness, man's righteousness, stamps out rooms for Christ's righteousness. Do you understand that? Is that kind of that like sinking in now a little bit? There's no real room in there for God-affirming righteousness when we are boastful and showboat about how good we are in front of others. Uh, John Piper, he's a pretty famous theologian, uh, speaker, etc., amazing guy. Uh, He says it like this, The heart of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. That's shorthand for saying that the only way to be right with God is on the basis of who Christ is and what Christ has done, not who you are or what you have done. Or any other way, 
the gospel is to say this. God is 100% for you being based on Christ alone, which we receive and enjoy by faith alone. You can't get God any more on your side than he is on the basis of Christ alone received by faith alone. The biblical basis for this is in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin. He becomes, we become his righteousness. And that not happens by our doing so or our, or our righteous works like discipline and prayer or giving to the poor. It happens by faith in Christ alone. As Paul says in Philippians 3.9, I want to be found in him, not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Piper's a little long-winded. Sorry about that. You see, practicing your righteousness is a vain and hollow attempt to be considered good among worldly men. So the next question from that is, is what good is that? Right? In verse 2, Jesus mentions sounding a trumpet. Now, when I was, uh, when I was starting to get ready for this sermon, uh, by, the way, by the way, a little side note, normally I preach like twice a year, so I have like 26 weeks to get ready in between each time. This most recent time, John gave me about three weeks, so if this isn't going very well, it's John's fault. Blame him. Uh, so as I started digging into this, right, Jesus is talking about don't sounding a trumpet when you give to the poor, so of course I had to start understanding that, like, did people really hand out money and call in a band and blow, no, of course not, that's not what they did, the temple offering chests had an opening that bellowed out, and then it necked down lower and had twists and turns such that a thief couldn't stick his hand into it and take money out of the offering chest. So if someone was to put money into this temple offering chest, it had to go through this uh, decreasing cross-sectional diameter to get into the chest, right? And then once it fell through, it would make a sound. Thereby, you are sounding a trumpet. It's an elegant way of saying, showing off when you give. Now, of course, you can give at a church and at a temple like people did, but when you do so, you do it and you go on. It's something required of you. It's not something you do it, then you turn around and wait for the sound and be like, I did it, right? So that's precisely what Christ is saying there. <clears throat> okay, so if you keep going on into Jesus uses a word, or the author here uses a word that Jesus, has, Jesus says that's very interesting. He uses a word that's originally derived from the Greek to mean an actor, and the word's hypocrite. That word in the Greek, I'm not going to try to say it because I'll butcher it, literally means a Greek actor that acted in Roman plays or in Greek plays. So if you think about the significance of that, it's pretty outstanding, right? He uses a word that says don't act, don't mess around when you do this, don't fake this, be genuine. That's, that's pretty incredible to me. If you do something... And you don't act when you do it. That means that there's a sense of genuineness there. There's an, a sense of uh, intentionality when you do it. So in, in such a simple saying, like, don't be like a hypocrite, he's saying something so simple, but yet it has such of a strong meaning behind it, right? Because we throw around this word hypocritical all the time, but there's actually deep meaning here. When you digest these words and the meanings behind them, you really start to understand on a deeper level these things that he's trying to convey. You really begin to unpack the meaning behind God's word. It's no longer just ink on paper. 
I can tell I'm losing you guys. I'm sorry. I digress. I, I, uh, I just get rambling. Okay. Uh, so let's go back. John asked me to preach on this a couple weeks ago. And initially, well, he didn't, he didn't say this. Just a couple weeks ago, he said, hey, man, I'm going to be out. I need you to preach. And I was like, yeah. Because normally when he asks me to preach, he's like, you have free reign. You can pick whatever you want. Just go for it. And I'm like, sweet. So I normally pick things that are, uh, that are easy for me to hone in on, right? They're, they're things like, um, well, let's, let's go for it. Something like healing the sick or raising the dead. Or, these are things that I love to talk about. These are things that are, like really get me pumped up. And, and I, I, uh, I, I dig into them and I have so much to say. And I, man, I'm in the spirit for weeks while I'm preparing these awesome messages. But then he's like, hey, by the way, I, wanna, I want you to talk about giving to the poor. I was like, oh man, I'm, uh, I'm really deflated. I'm really deflated, right? I'm, I'm, this, is, this is so outside of like what I want to talk about. It's, uh, I don't get to yell at anybody. I didn't get to tell you how, how you're not doing what Jesus is commanding you to do. I just, I have to talk about this thing that's, that's, uh, that's difficult for me. Uh, but after I really started getting into this, I realized that this was really like a, a divine appointment. John asked me to preach on this because God needed to speak to me that I am this hypocrite. That I am this person that, quite frankly, is terrible at this. Right? And, and as we're kind of going through this and kind of pulling back some layers of, of what Jesus is actually saying in giving to the poor, I hope that I hope that you're reflecting on, on the actual words and, and what they mean and, and what Jesus is trying to convey that there might be something down inside of you that has the same problem that I do. <clears throat> See, I don't want to be this hypocrite. I don't want to be this hypocrite at all, but when I read this and think about my own life, I realize that I absolutely am. You see, like, giving to the poor is totally a heart issue. And I, if any of you have ever been in a Bible study with me, you know that I hate this saying, right? Because every Bible study that I've ever led, every small group that I've ever led, every discussion group that I've ever led, every single issue comes down to being a heart issue. If we're talking about divorce, heart issue. If we're talking about finances, heart issue. If we're talking about raising the dead, heart issue. If we talk about healing the sick, heart issue. If we talk about sanctification, heart issue. It just gets old. It's like, this is everything that we talk about, and it kills me. It kills me. Janelle and I crack jokes about it behind closed doors. It's like, oh, look, heart issue, heart issue, heart issue. I know, I'm, I'm confessing I'm being way too transparent. But the truth of the matter here is that this actually, truly is a heart issue. <clears throat> Jesus says, whenever you give to the poor, right? So he says, whenever, he's expecting it of you. He's not saying if, right? It's an expectation for us to give to the, to the poor. It's a requirement to give. Man's righteousness, the world's righteousness, has no place here where we are expected to give. That's the if, the world's righteousness, right? World's righteousness, man's righteousness says, listen, if you give, you are a good person, right? That doesn't sound like Christ's righteousness at all. The righteousness of Christ says, when you give, there are no conditions, there are no if-then statements for you computer 
Oh, well, I thought he was in here. Anyway, there are no if-then statements. It is, it is completely unconditional. You are expected to do this. Okay, so most of you guys have heard me preach a few times. And every time that I preach, we always have an activity. So today we have an activity as well. Um, we're not going to get up this time, though. So right where you are, everyone that can hear my voice, I just want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and calm your mind for just a few seconds. And just listen to my words. When was the last time that you gave to the poor? Think about it. Try to recall it. Try to remember what the person looked like. Try to remember the color of their hair, the color of their eyes. I don't mean giving here at White Oak, but I mean to the poor. When was the last time you saw someone on the street corner and had compassion in your heart and gave them money or food to eat or water to drink? Has it been a long time? Has it been ever? Keep your eyes closed. When was the last time, now I'm really going to dig in, when was the last time that you took five minutes after church on a Sunday and asked the man living on our campus if he's eaten today or in the past week? When was the last time you realized that we had a man living on our campus? When was the last time you stopped by and gave him a rain jacket because we've been living in this monsoon for the past couple weeks? When was the last time that you invited him over for dinner because you know that he hasn't been eating? Okay, you can open your eyes. It becomes real, right? I mean, if you're here this morning, you call yourself a Christian, these are things that you are expected to be doing. There's no if-then statements. You are expected. And if you just close your eyes, and I looked, 95% of everyone did, if you really just thought about that and you could not answer those questions, there's, there's a heart issue there. There's something going on. Let's keep going. You see, we give because we model Jesus, Right? You understand that? We don't just give because, you know, you make a million dollars a year and you have all this extra money to give. No, that isn't how it works. You give because you model Jesus. Jesus gave to the financially poor, to the poor in in spirit, etc., etc. We're supposed to reflect Christ, right? So we're actually called Christian. Do you know where that word comes from? The word Christian? Anyone? It means little Christ. It's actually in the Bible, if you look at uh, Acts 11, in Antioch, the disciple of of Christ were actually for the first time called Christians. The word used meant little Christ. So it's not like you you are a disciple of Christ, you are a carbon copy, you are a mini-me of Christ. So if you are a little Christ, then you are to be doing these things that Christ commands you to do, the things that Christ did. When Jesus did something awesome, he wasn't looking for the glory of man to do it, but he did it for God's glory, right? There's a huge difference there. And also, when you think of this, God did all this for us when he surely didn't have to, right? In the same way, if we're modeling Christ, we should be doing that. 
Jesus gave to us no matter the day, no matter the place, no matter the cost. And if you kind of tie together what I'm trying to say there, Jesus, God himself, stepped down from heaven to give to you. He yearned to do it. It brought him joy to do so, right? So if we are supposed to model Christ and be a little Christ, to be a little version of him, then we don't give out of our own righteousness. We don't sound a trumpet when we give. It's because we model him and he gave to us first. He stepped down out of heaven and pulled you out of the pit. After defeating death, setting captives free, giving you victory, he didn't run and like go post it on Facebook. Granted, it wasn't around like that back then. He didn't like hang out with Peter and brag about it. He didn't give anybody fist bumps. He did it because it brought him joy to do it. In the same place, we, in the same way, we don't give and dwell on the fact that we do it. We're not supposed to be actors or hypocrites showing off our righteousness before men, for that's foolery before God. That's man's righteousness. That's serving man. That's making this world happy. And I've already asked you the question, what does that do for you? We reflect his compassion and give to the poor because he first had compassion and gave to us. So, when I go back now, like, like I said, when I first got asked to preach on giving to the poor, I was really kind of deflated about it, right? But when you really kind of start digging into what does it mean to give to the poor and why do you do this, etc., 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 it becomes such of a deeper issue than stopping on the street corner and asking someone if someone's eaten today. This is what we are supposed to be doing. This is what we are called to do. This is a requirement of us. It should be a staple of who we are. You know, and I, re- I don't know how many of you guys read the news. You should be. It's important to stay current. Um, you know, I read local, state, national, and world news, and we are, we, little Christs, the church, are continually ridiculed for being what? If you had to put one word on it, what would you say? Hypocrites. Across the globe. I read article day after day after day where we are labeled the same thing time after time after time after time. And I'm sure you do too if you pick up a newspaper every now and then. And Jesus is explicitly telling us not to be that actor, to not be that hypocrite. We are warned to be careful, not to practice our own our own righteousness. And you know, it lends, it lends me to believe, like, who of any kind of background, of any kind of faith, of any kind of agenda, any kind of political leaning, however you want to put it, any kind of power position, who in their right mind could look at us, the church, if we genuinely were little Christian, I mean, little Christ, and say, those stupid Christians always giving to the poor and feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless and handling out, hang, hanging out with the marginalized, raising the dead and healing the sick. They are the worst. Who in their world would say that? But they don't, and they have reason to. And, and I don't want you to hear my words and think like this is an us versus them thing, because trust me, it's all of us, Right? but that's a totally different conversation to have. 
we, little Christians, are routinely considered hypocritical because we are. We are actors, every one of us, every one of us across the globe. And we are explicitly told not to be. We are explicitly warned not to be. Some of us are better actors than others. I'm probably the best one in here. Ain't gonna lie about it. I'm probably the best one in this place. I don't like that, but I am. It's just where I am. I'm working diligently. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to overtake my heart and command every step of, of, uh, of what I do and where I am and who I am. But the process, and we all understand that. So at the end of the day, when we read through this passage, it goes so much deeper than just giving to the poor. Hear me, I would be remiss if I weren't to reiterate the fact that we are supposed to be giving to the poor. You didn't listen to a word that I said if you think that we're leaving here today without me saying you aren't supposed to give. This text clearly lays that part out. However, at the root of this passage, Jesus is screaming at us to remove the hypocritical notions inside all of us that allow us to boast in giving to the poor, that allow us to practice our righteousness in front of people. We should give so unselfishly that Jesus says one hand shouldn't know what the other hand is doing. Isn't that phenomenal? Just the the thought of that. We give out of the changing of our hearts and out of compassion. All of this is because we reflect our model, our example, our teacher, Jesus. We don't give such that we can satisfy the hearts of man, but yet the heart of Christ. We, we must remember in every moment and every day that we give to the poor because God gave to us joyfully through Christ on the cross at Calvary. This is why we give. This is why we don't practice our righteousness in front of people. So like I said, that was originally supposed to be about five hours, but it really hurts to talk, so I tried to condense that in as much as I could. It's a passionate plea to be careful, not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to not be a hypocrite that Jesus explicitly says, don't be. This is a passionate, passionate call for every one of us to actually stand up and do what we're supposed to be doing and giving to the poor. That man, I don't know how many of you actually know that he lives there, lives back on our campus. He doesn't even have a shelter. Doesn't even have a tent. Well, we're trying diligently. We're trying to get him an ID. We're trying to get him back on his feet. We're feeding him. We're helping out as much as we can, but I'm not just, look, I'm not joking when I say this. For the past two months, I'm the only person that's been back there that I've seen. It's incumbent on you to go back there. It's incumbent on you to do the things that the world doesn't want to do because Jesus commanded us to do it. No yelling and screaming today. That's all I got. Let me pray for us. After we're done praying, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. So if the deacons want to start preparing the table, that'd be great. Father God, your word is so real and there's such deep teachings to it that that we can't really begin to unpack just by reading through them. It's only by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can can, uh, 
dig into what it is that you have for us, Father. Specifically this text in Matthew 6. I pray that you just beat us down with being more compassionate. With not being hypocrites that we do answer the call and give joyously. That we're reminded that you loved us, that you showed us such great compassion that you stepped down and saved us when there's nothing we did to deserve it. Out of that same compassion you had for us, Father, we are supposed to be reflecting you and giving to the poor of this world, to the sidelines, to the marginalized. Father, for every beating heart in this place, I pray that these words aren't lost. I pray that they strike them and that we walk out of here changed. That we walk out of here compassionate for the poor more so than what we were when we walked in. Father, as we take of this communion I ask that we're reminded of what you did for us on the cross, that your body was broken and your blood was shed such that we may be made righteous with God. Jesus, it's in your amazing and powerful name that I pray these things. Amen.